Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Fernando Alonso is off to Aston Martin in a sensational twist in the Formula One driver market. So why has he turned down the chance to stay at Formula One's fourth best team to move to the ninth best, and what does it mean for Alpine? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to unravel this seismic transfer move is Scott Mitchell. Well, Scott, let's first ask Scott Mitchell from 15 hours ago when we recorded our last podcast what he thinks. For what it's worth, I asked Alonso after the race um, if he expects to arrive at Spa with his uh, future fully sorted, and he said yes. So I can't imagine he'll be uh, sneaking off on holiday with Lawrence Stroll and and, and arranging a, a new contract and defection to, to uh, Aston Martin in that time. I think it'll be dotting some I's and crossing some T's on a two-year deal at Alpine. Well, clearly, first of all, I need a better imagination, don't I? <laughs> it's like all the things you can't picture. Maybe don't. Don't admit that you can't picture the thing that then gets announced within 12 hours. Well, you were right that he didn't need to go off and do it during the August break, though. That aspect of what you said was correct. Yeah, it just it started okay. It just that statement just got progressively less insightful, didn't it? As the uh, and also, I, and I did ask that of Alonso, and Alonso did say he'd have his future sorted by Spa. I was so close to getting it right, and but no, um, I, 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 I actually, as soon as this was announced uh, this morning, I. One of my first thoughts was back to this, and I was like, pretty sure I said something quite ridiculous on the podcast that's going to age like milk, basically. When uh, when when I listen to it back, and a few other people have heard it as well, so I, I think a few people that are listening to this are probably quite glad that we're we're addressing it this way because I've had a couple of messages this morning saying that the podcast didn't age very well. Well, what it does illustrate is how much of a surprise that it's happened, or a surprise that it's happened this quickly. We knew there was a possibility that it was an option, but things have moved very, very quickly. And I think that illustrates quite how fast moving it's been. The last time we were taken by surprise quite so much by a driver market move was probably when Daniel Ricciardo announced he was moving from Red Bull to Renault. Again, something we knew was possible, but that appeared not to be happening. Slightly different circumstances, similar surprise. And this is something that's really come together quickly, isn't it, Scott? It is, yeah. So maybe I can redeem myself for my lack of insight last night and exactly where where all this was with a bit more insight into how it came about so quickly. Um, I think the first thing to do is to stress that it's not just us that have been caught out by this. Um, I, my understanding is that Alpine are, are pretty shell-shocked. They, they've obviously very clearly, just by what you can see publicly, they had nothing ready to go. They weren't anticipating an announcement at that time. They didn't meet it with... Um, an acknowledgement of Alonso's time there and they certainly haven't met it with an instant response in terms of who's going to replace him so I don't think they have that lined up either. And you know when that happens because you can see by the timing of the press releases you'll have something happening. The best one was when McLaren broke with Honda and you had them announcing they were separating from Honda and then there was a Honda Alpha Tauri announcement and then there was a McLaren Renault announcement all very nicely calibrated and orchestrated completely absent this time yeah exactly so um and and I believe you you heard from Otmar Zafnau the Alpine team principal on Sunday evening 
and uh, I've I've listened to that audio back. I've read the transcript. There's no he he does not sound like a person at all who's expecting his two-time world champion to defect to another team. In fact, everything points to yeah, there's still some stuff to get over the line here, but we're pretty confident that that we're going to do it. And obviously, that confidence has proven to be misplaced. And I think that Alpine, especially the CEO Lauren Rossi their view of where their negotiation position was with Alonso was misplaced uh, as well. They've had far too confidence. They've dragged their, their feet way too much. We knew that there'd been a bit of doubt creeping in this impasse. In they hadn't. I don't believe they'd really had proper negotiations by this point, but they'd obviously been sounding it out. And Alonso was coming from a position of one in two years. Alpine, I think, were willing to give him two years, but would at the very least have been a one with, an op, with a one-year option. So a one plus one, but the option on the team side which I don't think Alonso was very appreciative of. So within that, we've already established the grounds for why Alonso would have been looking potentially or for an out or, or would have been happy for an out. There are some push factors there that don't make him feel particularly wanted. I think he'd have absolutely hated the suggestion that he was only worth keeping around for for, for one season potentially and that, um, that, that that he didn't immediately command the deal that, that he was he was he was looking for. So then Aston Martin come into the picture. There's, there's already been some, uh, some discussions, some sort of, uh, some formative talks, very much informal, but some, some sort of scouting for, for information. Alonso's known Lawrence Stroll for, for quite a while. I'm sure that the, the two parties representatives have had little chats. It's impossible not to in F1. It's a small paddock. And spoke to the team in 2020 as one of the options for his return, as he indeed confirmed on Thursday, although we already knew that long before then. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there would have been a little bit of um, scoping each other out before this because Aston Martin knew that Vettel could retire and there was good transparency between Aston Martin and Vettel. Vettel knew that Aston Martin needed to be ready in case he did leave. So there wasn't anything untoward going on there um, I, I don't think Alonso had a contract expiring at the end of the year. It was only natural to sort of sound out what potential options there were on either side, but there wasn't anything con- concrete in place. Nothing really formal lined up because Aston Martin made an offer to Vettel. It was it, the ball was in Vettel's court. You can retire or you can continue with us. We want you to continue with us, but we'll respect your decision. That so they were pushing Vettel to make a decision before the summer break so that they could basically give themselves as much time as possible to to replace him. Which is perfectly fair. It's like your decision, but please do it on a sensible timeline. Absolutely no problem there. Exactly. So we get to Wednesday in, in Hungary. Vettel has made his mind up and he tells the team. The team then reacts to that very, very quickly. And at this point here, despite Aston Martin not operating like a top F1 team on track this season, we know that they're struggling. You mentioned earlier the ninth in the Constructors' Championship. This is where I think Aston Martin really started to behave like a a, you know, a, a big player in, in, in Formula One. So they obviously made a big song and dance out of Vettel's retirement. And that was partly out of respect for Seb. It was to get the news out there. That's that's fine. But they wanted to move quickly because, as I understand it, it was also a very, very good way to then scope out who was available and who was seriously interested in joining the team. It's basically the F1 paddock equivalent of putting a giant... Uh, a, a, a giant job offer, job vacancy, help wanted sign in the Aston Martin window. And that's important because although people's contract details leak out, you never really know exactly what break clauses exist 
for him. So sometimes you do that, and a driver you would never imagine might be available. They might have thought, you never know, Max Verstappen might come calling. That wasn't going to happen, but just that's the value of doing that. No, exactly. But Alonso did. So they knew that Alonso was available. This was just absolute concrete information. Not only was he available, he was very interested. Alonso is incredibly astute. He's been paying attention to stuff. He, he's all, And he's a very selfish operator. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but he's always on the lookout. He's always looking to manoeuvre. He's, he's playing 4D chess in Formula 1, isn't he? And he's just trying to make sure he puts himself in a good position for the long term. So he had been paying attention to what Aston Martin were doing. He could see what they were building. He could see that their recruitment. He could see their resources. He could see the new factory that was being built. There's quite a few things there that actually Alpine operate within certain constraints for. We know that their factory has limitations because Enstone is frankly totally the appropriate place to build a build an F1 factory. And although they are trying to to increase it, even now they're still trying to add little improvements here and there that they're they're quite limited resource wise. Alpine answer to a to the board effectively of the the, the Renault Group. So there's always going to be an element of an, you're only as committed as the Renault Group is committed. To, to, to Formula One so there's potentially some hesitancy on that side and then just the existing infrastructure and who works there Alonso's got an idea in his head of what he thinks the ceiling is there for Alpine's ultimate potential does he really did he ever really believe that Enstone could get back to the fighting weight with which he was able to win the world championship in 05 and 06 the jury was always going to still be out on that at Aston Martin much easier to see a, a clearer vision and see how the resource is being applied, uh, what it would be building. Making Alonso part of that was obviously massively, massively fits with Lawrence Stroll's general objective of bringing as many big players into the same programme as possible. So this takes us into, I think, the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend. We've now got to a point where Aston Martin know for sure that Alonso's interested. Alonso knows for sure that there's a vacancy there. The Alpine situation is still not resolved. They're still dragging their heels. Alonso's nose put out a joint slightly, I'm I'm sure. We get into the negotiations with Aston Martin and suddenly Alonso is absolute top dog again. They want him. They want him on a multi-year deal. They want him to be a leader. They want they want him to be their big name signing to show that this this project still has an immense amount of intent about it. So those negotiations, what was it Alonso said on the Thursday in, in Hungary? If two parties want, if two parties agree on the set, uh, two parties agree and want to stay together, it will take ten minutes. Yeah, but Omar Safnau agreed with that as well on Sunday night. Exactly. Well, in this case, it maybe have taken more than ten minutes, but it certainly didn't take more than four days. Alonso and Lawrence Stroll, and the, I'm sure there would have been other people involved in these discussions, but they saw eye to eye. They saw a mutually beneficial uh, um, relationship here forming. Alonso wanted something. Alonso had very clear idea of what he wanted. Aston Martin was willing to give it to him. They saw the value that Alonso brought to the team. So they just got it done straight away. They saw an opportunity. They went for it. Alonso saw an opportunity to actually maybe move on to something bigger and also just to get it finalised. Maybe also that little personal motivation as well. One in the eye of Alpine because they've offended him slightly. And that's how we get to a point on Monday morning Less than 96 hours after Sebastian Vettel's retirement is announced, Aston Martin press release drops confirming Alonso and the F1 world loses its mind for a couple of hours. (laughs) Not for the first time. But it is interesting what you said there about the impact of Alpine. Now, everything you said about Aston Martin appealing, we know that's a team with tremendous potential. They're investing heavily. The facilities are coming on, so there is a good future there. But it's a future that's not kind of next year. And Fernando Alonso... Great as he is, he's not immortal, is he, in terms of his F1 career. There will be a point where uh, where he gets a bit too old for it, still fine at the moment. So 
it's not necessarily the most cast iron way to go. And I do wonder, you mentioned he's playing 4D chess with a market. One part of that was the negotiations with Alpine. And there's a part of me that wonders, has he not just absolutely just chucked the board across the room because he's not happy with Alpine? We know they wanted that one-year deal. He wanted something longer, two years, possibly even two plus one, I think, was uh, was one of the suggestions I heard. And he wants to be the man. He doesn't just want to be there holding a place for a year for Oscar Piastri as Alpine try to kind of squeeze one more good year out of him and then park him off in their sports car programme, their LMDH programme that starts in 2024, which, remember, Laurent Rossi had said on the record at a press conference at the French Grand Prix that that was their idea. So we know where there was that impasse there. What will be really interesting to find out, and we will start to build up some of these extra details beyond what we will tell you everything we know right now, but we'll we'll begin to pick up further details, particularly from the Alpine side, is did Alpine react to the Aston Martin vacancy appearing? Fernando Alonso was asked on, on Thursday, does it make his negotiations more difficult? And he just said, not for me, with a big grin, because he knew it was good that there was a, an option there. And at that stage, I'm sure he knew that he was well in the running. So who knows? Did Alpine acquiesce and say, oh, actually, yeah, we will do this deal because because we're, we're happy with doing that? Did they not mind? I don't know whether Lauren Rossi underestimated Alonso and thought he would just accept the one-year deal, or he just didn't care. He thought, well, we quite like Alonso. We want to keep him, but we've got Piastri, we've got the fullback. But for me, this is another example of Alonso butting heads with someone right at the top of the company. We saw this with Ferrari. That led to him moving to McLaren. That didn't work out too well, did it? No, um, this uh, this could absolutely... That's, that's why I said I, I don't think Alonso took the Alpine negotiating position very well and why he would have responded very, very well to the way Aston Martin went into these negotiations. I can absolutely see Hart ruling head as far as Alonso is concerned. And I'm sure that played a part, as I'm sure is the fact that Al- um, Aston Martin would have almost certainly offered him a pay packet that was uh, consistent with the way that it was presenting itself to Alonso in these negotiations. You know, we want you to come in, we want you to be a leader, all, all, all of this stuff. So Alonso would have gone, all right then, what are you, t- what are you offering then in terms of in terms of the money? But there would have been other, other factors as well. And it could well be that we've got to a point for Alonso where he knows that this, he knows that he might well have just signed the last deal of his Formula One career. So it's a case of Alonso saying, right, well, I've only got probably these last two years. I don't think Alpine are going to win in that time because I just think there is a fundamental block on, on what they can achieve. I don't really want to be here if they don't want me to be here. I'm just going to do one big last roll of the dice because it gets me out of a situation I don't want. It makes me it makes me feel like I win again. You know, I I put these guys in their place and I'm and I like I said earlier, he feels like top dog again. I get that bit of extra money and I just go to a place where I'm at least part of something that's massively massively on the up. And maybe just maybe there will be that crossover between just Aston Martin really getting good just before Alonso has to call it a day. We're just before time does finally catch up with him. So it is a it's a it's a gamble and I'm not sure it's necessarily um I'm not sure it's necessarily uh nailed on success. There's got to be something about this that works for Alonso that didn't for Vettel. Time is more on his side than Vettel's because Vettel was going there right at the beginning of all of this investment going in. So the next year's car uh for example was very nice um turn of phrase I saw from Andrew Benson from the BBC when he wrote about this earlier said that next year's car will have Dan Fallow's fingerprints on it we know that he is super highly rated coming in from from Red Bull so the 23 and 24 cars which Alonso will drive on this multi-year deal should be more competitive 
than what they've got now. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I'm quite looking forward to what happens if it doesn't work because Alonso is a massively, massively fiery personality. Lawrence Stroll doesn't lose. That's what he always tells people. That's just a that's a recipe for, for disaster if it doesn't work. It's a very, very interesting blend, isn't it? But yeah, hopefully it works well. I'd like nothing more than to see Fernando Alonso at least win another Grand Prix. That'd be great, wouldn't it? After after all these years, he's still operating at a very, very high level. He claims he's still at the absolute best. He said a few weeks ago that he's still the 2012 Fernando Alonso, the one who almost won the title in a Ferrari. There's actually no way to test that. My suspicion that maybe a 41-year-old Alonso may be very fractionally uh, less, less good, a little bit of decline. You can't defeat time, although Alonso will sure battle it. But I think he's a fantastic driver and a, and a very, very good signing for Aston Martin. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. To turn this around a little bit, Scott, one of the things I was concerned about with the choice of driver was that it might all be a bit Lance Stroll-centric. I felt that Lawrence Stroll might lean towards a Mick Schumacher type, a young driver, good Schumacher name, probably sees him as someone who wouldn't be a natural team leader, which Alonso certainly is. So what does it tell us about the ambition of that team? Well, it just shows that um, any doubt that had crept in around the edges uh, has just been obliterated. Uh, you're you're right. I had to say, I think we might we, we might have been one of the slightly more um, sharper observations I made on the on the post race podcast uh, on the on the podcast. I think when we were talking about um, Seb's retirement and and who would replace him. Sorry, not the post race one. That's two podcasts ago in the speed. Yeah. If you want to go back and have a listen, yeah, exactly. This is the third podcast we've been done in, in a few days. So. Um, I, Apologies if people are sick of, uh, of hearing our voices, but back then we talked about being concerned that this is a vehicle for Lance Stroll, and this signing shows that it isn't. They 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 could have gone for someone that was just a nice one to slot in alongside Lance. I actually asked Mike Crack, the Aston Martin team principal, this post race um, in 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 Hungary, and said, you know, if you're with, with what whoever you're looking for to sign Seb again, we had no idea this was coming, and honestly. The way Crack was answering those questions, I honestly wonder if at 6pm on, on Sunday he knew for sure that they were going to be getting Alonso because he certainly wasn't talking like someone who 
who was on the brink of actually having a driver confirmed. He was talking about you know what they might want from a driver, the process, how they've gone about it, what they'll do, all, all of this stuff. Um, he said he felt that Lance was ready to lead a team in terms of experience, but I just disagree with that. Um, I know that he ha- kind of has to say that in the position that he's in. There's no evidence to me that Lance is ready to be a team leader. Lance Stroll is a perfectly solid Grand Prix driver, perfectly solid. A few little higher watermarks he's he's hit, but overall solid and fine. He's probably a, a, a solid number two driver for a midfield team. Exactly, but that doesn't fit with what Aston Martin want to achieve. So if Lawrence Stroll and the rest of the Aston Martin organisation, because it isn't just Lawrence there, is really serious about success here, they need to look past those familial ties. They've done that with this. And, and like I said, I mentioned it earlier, but just the way they went about this was just a reminder of what uh, what resource and intent and might there actually exists in this group when they're unshackled. Because I really do feel like this was um, a, a, an absolute top-tier team going about things in terms of its uh, target identification, uh, coming up with a strategy, executing that strategy. To go from not having a deal with Alonso or maybe maybe not even knowing 100% sure he was interested to then having it signed and done and announced within four days is just an astonishing turnaround. So everything about this deal, to me, screams we're really, really, really damn serious about this and we are going to pull out all the stops. We're going to throw everything at it to get what we think we need in place. Then They're not leaving themselves any room for excuses. And I have to say, I, I perhaps underestimated the exact commitment they had to that. I thought that they might move away from it. They haven't. They've proven me wrong. And now the lingering question is, can they bring all these pieces together? Or are they just going to have this absolute monumental super team across driver and technical organisation and financial resource that, that just under-delivers. That's going to be the fun thing to, to watch play out over the next couple of years. Yeah, you would hope they make good progress there. All the right moves being made in terms of recruitment and the way they're making things work in the team. So, yeah, they are on a, a good trajectory and Alonso will hope to ride that trajectory to success. Let's think a little bit more about Alpine now. Now, we don't have an announcement about the replacement for Fernando Alonso. If I was them, it would be Oscar Piastri. It should be. He was always the, the fullback, but we know they had certain other plans for the timeline for that. But how big a blow is it for Alpine to lose Alonso, or is it just not a blow? Well, I reckon you're, well, you're right. We don't have um, an announcement yet, but based on my track record, I think if I say something nice and definitive now, then I think that will probably tempt, uh, tempt an announcement from, from, from Alpine either before this podcast goes live or within a few hours afterwards. So um probably set myself up for failure here. It is a blow for, for, for Alpine, purely because if they were that convinced by Piastri, he'd be in the car for, for, for next year. And I, I know that sounds like a flippant comment, and I know that we're talking about Alonso as someone who's still performing at a really, really high level. But if you're worried about losing Piastri or you are absolutely convinced he has to be in Formula 1. I think they would have just taken the steps by now to actually do that. I think Piastri could be the real deal. I've said this before on podcasts. Um, He's got a junior record that only George Russell and Charles Leclerc can match in terms of back-to-back rookie F3 and F2 titles. I've watched his progression from F4 all the way up and the way he's got better and better as he's got into faster, harder cars to drive has been really impressive. He's kept on learning. He he seems very, very switched on. He's got fantastic racecraft. And he's also very, very good. He, he, he got such a great handle on the Pirelli tyres as well. Um, going into, into F2, he was so, so efficient in, in, in feature races and just did, a, just did a really, really, really good job. He looked an 
uh, you looked a level above someone like Joe Guan Yu, who has come into Formula One, okay, lower expectations, but come into F1 and proven himself capable of Q3 qualifying performances and finishing in, in, in the top 10 and performing pretty well alongside a guy like Valtteri Bottas. I would expect Piastri to be another level above that. So my, I have no doubt in Piastri. If I, if I were Alpine, would I, would I be casting Alonso aside for him? Now that is a massive thing to ask of someone. But if you were just, um, if you were so convinced that you had a mega talent on your hands, then you would, he would just be, he would just be on the cusp straight away. So even if you just, even if you didn't quite believe you can put aside a two-time world champion for a total rookie, understand that. But there wouldn't be the delay that we've had now. It would have been. I know that they weren't ready and they weren't expecting it, Alonso to do the the Aston deal and be announced there. But if if you were that convinced by Piastri, if you were that ready to put him in your car as a rookie, then it would have been a phone call to him the second you found out, or a phone call to his management and says, "We need to get this deal over the line. We need to get it done absolutely as soon as possible." Now that process might be happening now. We don't know that. We don't know that it isn't. But I'm just a bit wary that. The, the Alpine commitment to Piastri might just have been a little bit of convenient lip service while they waited for the Alonso stuff to be resolved because they knew that they could afford to put Al, uh, put Piastri elsewhere for a year, maybe two years, build him up and then bring him into the fold. The simple fact is the plan was not to put Piastri in their car as a rookie. They have to change their plan to, in reaction to, to, to Alonso if Piastri is going to drive for Alpine next year. The fact they haven't done that straight away just to me, just implies a, a, a small element of doubt. Personally, if I was them, I'd confirm Piastri immediately because you can look at it as they wanted to keep Alonso for, for a bit longer and felt that this was a good way to to phase Piastri in. But he remained there as a very, very good alternative if they couldn't do that Alonso deal, in which case put him in absolutely fine. The other factor is maybe they might be ruining signing Esteban Ocon to that long contract last year. They signed him up until the end of 2024. When you look at it, Maybe an Alonso Piastri lineup might have been a nice move for for Alpine. Ocon's doing a decent job. He's having a good season. But I think Ocon isn't quite the absolute superstar he maybe looked like at times earlier in his career. I think he's a very good Formula One driver, but I don't see him as a three times world champion or anything. I think he's sort of in that Valtteri Bottas area of a very good driver, but just not quite. He's above where we said Lance Stroll is as a driver, Certainly. but but he's not on that Leclerc, Russell, maybe probably not even Norris territory, is he? He's in that. He's, he's very much in that group in between. You've got the good, the very good, and the probably great. Yeah, very much so. Which is a good level. Still makes him an outstanding driver. But that could have been one way for Alpine to have a, a much easier time of it. But I don't really see any alternatives to them. Let's say. They want to stick with the plan to blood Piastri elsewhere, which at one stage was looking very strongly likely to be Williams. Obviously, McLaren started to rear its head as a, a possibility should they get rid of Ricardo. But there's no other stopgap option, really. I mean, Daniel Ricardo, could he go back there? If he was, as we always stress, he's got the contract. He has the control of whether he walks away. He can walk away. But that would be kind of going back in time and gambling on a driver. But he's the only driver of that sort of calibre, potentially, and he's not been a driver of that calibre the past 18 months, who could perform that interim role if they still want to try and do it. Yeah, he's the only one who even remotely comes close to 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 being what Alpine needs or 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 would soften the blow of a of an of an Alonso. 
I think it would be embarrassing for him to go back to the place that he decided after after one season, I don't want to be here anymore, I need to go to McLaren. I know he did, he did drive the second year with Renault, but he made that decision after only one season with them. It would be a huge about-face to go back there now. The one caveat to that is he did have to make that decision, yes, after one season, but he could have made that decision if it wasn't for the COVID pandemic once that season had started, if you see what I mean. So he was partly forced into that into that scenario. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I, I accept that. It's just, um, it was just a massive hope of no confidence in, in, in Renault and that. I, admittedly, it's a slightly different organisation now. There is diff- There are different people there in terms of uh, Rossi as the CEO and obviously different team principal. Cyril Abitable is not there anymore. Um, but I always felt that Ricardo got on well with that team and, and they, they, they worked well together. So I wouldn't uh, entirely rule it out. There's one scenario that I think we should cover, which involves Ricardo, McLaren, Piastri and Alpine. And that's, we don't know for certain what position Alpine got itself into in terms of who it promised Piastri to for next year, if it promised Piastri to anybody. By... By a couple of races ago, the situation had escalated from it looking fairly nailed on for Piastri to go to Williams for McLaren has been seriously linked with Piastri. And I spoke to a couple of people who would have a very good understanding of that situation. And both of them said to me that it, it, it was a serious position for McLaren to be in and that the Ricardo situation had to be resolved. Piastri was not not an option if you see, if you if you if you follow, it was uh, non non denial denials from from people in 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 the know. So, where did that get to for starters? Was was there any point where I don't believe there was any point where a concrete deal was done? So I don't think there's anything that Alpine couldn't, you know, basically go back on and say, sorry, we know that the intention was to to let you borrow this guy, but we actually need him now. It would have been somewhat negligent while Alonso wasn't under lock and key to back themselves into that corner but strange things have happened and I would also argue that it's been it would it has been negligent of Alpine to let Alonso go in the first place so we know that they aren't necessarily Rossi I think is a I think has uh, proven himself to overestimate his negotiating power and Alpine's position in this situation once so he may well have done it again unless he doesn't really care and he doesn't mind if Alonso goes that is a possibility but if that was the case then they would have Piastri confirmed already so I I just don't buy that I I understand your your point but I wouldn't buy that if they tried to sell it to me Um, so we come back coming back to the Piastri thing with with McLaren one thing I wonder it did if we didn't get to the point of him being promised to anybody there was so much talk about a contractual cutoff for Piastri for Alpine to to sort Piastri a deal out for 23 and I'd heard initially that was the end of June but then other people suggested it was the end of July and if it's the end of July a 1st of August announcement that's helpful isn't it yeah exactly so and I'm I'm just to stress I mean that in terms of Alonso's intentions being announced in terms of the knock-on effects not because it lines up nicely no so so I don't, I don't, I don't know, and this date could be different. It could not exist at all, but it has been talked about a lot. If, if because they, they were, they were convinced they were keeping Alonso. Is there any possibility that they dropped the ball on Piastri badly, and have let someone sneak in to a point of having, if not a contract, a pre-contract, or if not a pre-contract negotiations? Does Alpine now have to outbid someone to get their own driver to commit to them for 2023? That's what we don't know because this situation didn't have to be considered. Yeah, and 
it is possible you can get into these contractual grey areas or it might not even be remotely grey. It might just be an outright freedom. There's all sorts of talk about exactly what the contract states in terms of if you try and place a driver, well, what happens if they've got a better offer from a better team or whatever? There's all sorts of mechanisms in here. Piastri, of course, managed by Mark Webber, who knows very well how all of this works and will have absolutely been pursuing Piastri's best interest very aggressively, I'm, I'm sure. So... That is an interesting scenario, and the fact there hasn't been an Alpine announcement about Piastri makes me wonder if there's at least something going on. It could just be a timing thing, or you know, Lauren Rossi might have had two days off or something and just can't be there to sign it off or something. You, you know, there's all manner of things that can happen. Hungarian police again making an appearance. If anyone can hear that in the background, but yeah, it it just concerns me a little bit that they don't have this all set and secure. And announced, it may be that five minutes after we finish recording, it's all set. And I should stress, I am expecting Piastri to be confirmed there. I don't know 100% that's happening, but that seems the only logical move. And I wouldn't be surprised if a few hours after this is released, he is there. In which case, take everything we've said in terms of Piastri's quality as, as supporting his case. And if I, uh, and, and on the off chance that it's announced, if something's announced and it's not Piastri, then I would just say, what an absolute massive ball dropped. From, from Alpine because it's a, it's effectively a show of no confidence in him it undermines everything that they've been talking everything that they've been saying about him everything they've been doing with him it's a complete waste of a fantastic driver and a properly obvious opportunity I don't see the value long term of going back to someone like Ricardo if that's an option I don't see the real value in going for a sort of a potentially available driver like an Alex Albon or a Mick Schumacher for example because those are the sorts of people that they could potentially go for here if they wanted a a one or two year option especially if they have promised Piastri to someone else and he's not available for a year or two but I just I think if you're not putting Piastri in that car in place of Alonso I don't think you're taking yourself seriously enough and I'd agree with that I completely get why you would farm Piastri out in order to have another year or two of Alonso but yeah in this scenario of course you put Piastri in he's a driver with tremendous amount of ability and I'm 99% of the time I'll always say back that young driver with huge potential when it's up against an Alonso, it's slightly different, but yeah, go for him. And I think he'll do do a good job for, for that team. Yes, there may be a little bit of short-term pain while he learns the ropes, as it were, but he's embedded in that team, professional approach. He'll have had the time to understand how things work. So it'll be a pretty good transition ultimately. So it, it would work for them. But like we say, we don't know for sure exactly what way it's going to go. Hopefully Alpine will get things sorted out very shortly. Looking forward to doing, recording a Snap podcast in the next few days where we play something I've said from this podcast back at us and have a massive laugh at the start of that one. If you like, you could say just the sentence, well, I know that Alpine will definitely announce and then just list 12 or 13 driver names and we can edit it together and say, look, Scott Mitchell was absolutely right. Well, I know for sure that Alpine are going to announce 12 or 13 different driver names and then I can't remember the rest of it, sorry. Yeah, you see, you've got it wrong straight away. Straight, We missed the chance to suggest, I don't know, Pastor Maldonado. That's very good. Uh, well, everyone's trying to sign Alex Palau at the moment, aren't they? Maybe Alpine are going to try and sign him. Yeah, I'm sure he's got room in his contract briefcase for another six or seven deals. <laughs> see how that goes. But overall, it's always great when you see drivers moving around. I don't think it's great for Alpine that they've lost Alonso, but I'm going to be fascinated to see how he gets on at Aston Martin next year. That's a team that's very hard to place in terms of where it'll be in the pecking order. They're not going to make a giant leap to the front, but that team could be at the front of the midfield next year, or it could be similar level to where it is. So that's a very, very big range to be aiming for. And where it is in that range will dictate probably how well things 
go. Thanks very much, Scott Mitchell, for your insight, hopefully more accurate than the last podcast. Head to therace.com. There's loads of other reactions to read there. We've done pieces about what was going on with the Alonso Alpine side, about what we expect to see from Alonso Aston Martin. So plenty to delve into there. And when something happens on the Alpine driver side, we'll also have plenty more to read. Check out our sister podcasts as well, including our IndyCar podcast, the F1 Tech Show. And also, because this has been released quite quickly after our last one, our post-race podcast from the Hungarian Grand Prix, just one step back in the feed. So have a listen to that. Just ignore that little bit where Scott says his erroneous thing about uh, about Alonso. It was right at the time. That's what you can uh, that's what you can say. And also check out our YouTube channel. Of course, the Race F1 podcast will be with you all through the August break. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.